at the core really of many of our struggles in life is that question, can I trust God? And, and I would submit that this question is probably one of the most important questions that we ask. We ask the question, can I trust God often, don't we? Can I trust God? When there's hardships in life, we often ask. If we're unemployed, can I trust God to take care of my needs and my family? Is He good? Why did this happen? Or maybe underemployed. Or when there's tragedies in life, a death of a loved one, sickness, financial loss, can I trust God? Disappointments in life often lead us to ask that question. It just didn't turn out how I wanted it to turn out. That can happen throughout life. It can happen especially for middle-aged people because you live your life on dreams in many ways and vision and there's an appropriateness to that to a degree, but often you reach middle age and all those things you thought you were going to do for the glory of God you really haven't been able to do and, and you wonder... What is life really about? There's disappointment. Where is God? Why did it turn out this way? Can I trust God? Sometimes we ask that question just in the simple day-to-day life. There are those who each morning wake up wondering, can I trust God? And, and answering no, and then just trudging through the day. We ask this question when we think about our future. So this is a, an important question to ask and really determines it really determines how we live and why we live and what we live for. If the answer is yes, I can trust God, that makes such a difference in how we live and what we do. If the answer is no, the very fabric of our life and being can come unraveled. Scripture is adequate to answer these questions. I think the the answers, when the answer is no, there, it boils down to two reasons. There are often two reasons at the bottom of why we say no, we can't trust God. We either don't believe that He is good or good enough, or we don't believe that He is powerful or powerful enough. And this series, what we will do is we will look at those qualities of God. We will apply them to everyday life in answering that question, can I trust God? So this morning we're going to look at, start looking at, by looking at Psalm 34.8. We'll be in some other scriptures as well as we address and answer this question from the Word of God. But let us go before the Lord who Himself has the answers. Ask Him to speak to us. Lord, we thank You that You are trustworthy despite how we may feel or think about it, you are trustworthy. And Lord, in your goodness and power, you desire that we would know that you are trustworthy. And Lord, I know from my own heart, and I know I can guess for this group here, there are many here who struggle with this question. Many here whose lives are defined by that question, by the answer in a negative way. And Lord, you love each one. And so I pray by Your Spirit, through Your Word now, You would reveal truth to our minds and hearts and affections and change our lives as we behold You and are transformed, we pray. Thank You, Lord, for Your mercy and grace. 
that you're with us and you desire to do this. And we ask it as your grateful people in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. There was a time in my life when I struggled with the goodness of God. I was in college and, and as I wrestled through some of the theological truths that I encountered, I, I, I understood that God was powerful, but I saw evil in the world. And I, I started to doubt that He was good. I saw the evil that went on. I saw people rejecting Christ and I just couldn't understand what was going on. And I went for about a year and a half uh, thinking God wasn't good. Actually, I was pretty convinced He wasn't good. And life was not very happy for that year and a half. Um, I'm kind of analytical, so I was able to just kind of say, kind of be analytical and say, well, you know, I got so many choices. You know, God isn't good, but He made me, so I'm just going to make the best of it. And I just kind of trudged through that year, year and a half. It was not a happy year and a half for me. Uh, Life was was hard. But thank God in time, uh, in many ways, He showed me really that He was good. And good beyond what I thought good was. The problem was my understanding of good was a little bit off. And God revealed through that time, and it took some years even actually, before I started to see, you know what, God, You are good. And matter of fact, Your goodness is flawless. And it was when I came to that point where I understood that and rested in that, that God changed me in many ways. Not that I don't struggle at times, but God transformed my life through that answer that He gave. You perhaps are also in that place. And what I think God wants to do, He teaches us from Psalm 34. If you could look there with me. Do we have this to project? Okay, it should be in the folder, the file there. Taste and see is the name of the message. But we'll look at Psalm 34, 8. The psalmist says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. In this wonderful psalm, uh, and we saw this in our first Peter series because Peter does much from Psalm 34. In this wonderful psalm, we learn that God wants us to taste and see that He is good. He doesn't want us just to know intellectually, though that's a, a vital and important part of it. He wants us to taste and see. He wants us to experience that He is good. To be convinced in our minds and in our hearts and, and have it affect our emotions in such a way that we experience that He's good. And we therefore find our refuge in Him. We run to Him. We depend on Him. That's what He wants to work in our lives. So what we're going to do today is just talk about how He is good. And my prayer is, as we do that, as we talk about what the Scriptures teach about how He is good, that by the Spirit, that we would taste and see that He is good. And we would find our refuge in Him. We would trust Him. So Scripture teaches us a number of ways that God is good. First, that we experience His goodness. We taste and see His goodness in creation. The the goodness of God surrounds us. Romans 1 teaches us that it's all around us. The knowledge of God in creation is there for everyone to see. matter of fact, Romans 1 says that it's wrong for us not to acknowledge that and give thanks because it is so profound. It actually 
takes us blinding our eyes to deny His goodness in creation. Psalm 145 speaks of the goodness of God in creation. I think we have that to show. It says, "...the Lord is good to all, and has mercy. His mercy is over all that He has made. The Lord upholds all who are falling down and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His works. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear Him. He also hears their cry and saves them. God in Psalm 145, is worshipped for caring for His creation. For satisfying the needs of His creation. God supplies the needs of His creatures. Now, I know you, you could answer that probably. Most of us would know that. Yes, indeed. Yeah, basic truth. We know God supplies the needs of His creatures. But sometimes we just kind of gloss over that truth without really meditating on it and thinking about the extent and the wonder of His goodness in that. So just follow me a little bit as we think about what this means. And this is in no way an exhaustive exploration of how God supplies the needs of His creatures. There are about 50 million species of plants and animals on the earth. The estimates are 50 to 100 million. We've only discovered about 2 million total. 50 million species of animals. That, that's a lot. They, they are, some of the scientists uh, are finding, even within one tree, even like hundreds or thousands of species of beetles living in one tree. There's all this, all this different type of creation out there. 50 million species of animals and plants. And every day, God supplies food and water and provision all those species, all those different plants, all those different animals, and there's certainly within those species probably millions and millions of those species. So just think of the numbers, the numbers, the hundreds of billions of of creatures that are alive right now. And each one, every day, God provides for them. He creates a climate, an environment. He creates a system, an ecosystem in which they live and He supplies their needs. That's a lot of miles to feed. Would you want to be in charge of a potluck for all 50 million species every single day? Yet God is. He doesn't forget one. He takes care of them all. Every single creation. He creates an atmosphere and a climate. He causes the sun to rise and set each day. He causes the seasons to cycle through. Think how much we take that for granted. Every single day the sun comes up and goes down. What what would happen if the sun didn't come up or the earth didn't rotate, whatever way you want to see see it? What would happen? God every day sustains His creation. He's created principles, but He's not distant. The Scripture doesn't teach that God's like the God of the deists. He just kind of set up laws and backed away. God is not like that. God is omnipresent and omnipowerful. He is over in in everything. And the reasons that those laws and things work is not because He set up a perfect system and left it. It's because He's in and over and through a perfect system as God. Yet He's separate from it. He's not the creation. He's the Creator. And He oversees all that. 
all the time. It is deeper than we understand. And we must be careful as we live in the scientific age and we just start to probe the layers of His creation and we say, well, well, we understand it now. No, we don't. There are layers deeper than we'll ever understand because God is the One that does it all. Black holes, supernovas, galaxies upon galaxies, time, space, matter, antimatter, elements, atoms, protons, neutrons, electrons, quarks, leptons, bosons, gravity, light, matter, energy, all made by Him and sustained by Him at every moment from His goodness. He is good. And He does good. Imagine that you're traveling deep in the woods of northern Maine, following some half-forgotten logging trail. And as you walk through the woods, you, you come upon a beautiful farm. You come out into the field, and the field is beautiful. It's green. It's lush. There's a well-maintained white fence, rail fence, around the whole pasture. Grass is mown. There's stacks of hay there. In the field are cows, dairy cows. Actually, not just one sort of cows, but multiple sorts. As you count, you see perhaps a hundred different types of dairy cows in that field. And you're in wonder. You look over to your left and you see a, a beautiful classic red barn with a stone foundation. Next to it, a, a beautiful Victorian farmhouse. A white one with a wraparound porch. And you make your way over to the barn. You go inside the barn and, and in the barn are all sorts of barn animals. All different horses. Beautiful horses. Other barn animals are there. You go to the back of the barn and, and there's a pristine 1967 Corvette convertible. Who here knows what that looks like? Yeah, one of the... Actually, Judge one of the best American cars ever. And the keys are in it. And there's a sign on it. Free rides for weary travelers. Please drive safely. You resist the urge to take off in the Corvette. And you make your way to the farmhouse. You go into this beautiful white Victorian farmhouse up the, onto the wraparound porch. There's a swing on the porch. A, a, a set of wicker chairs, a table, and on that table is a pitcher of homemade lemonade with a sign, free lemonade for weary travelers. You knock on the door. There's no answer. You're so intrigued by everything, you go inside, and inside is this beautiful home full of all these different hardwoods. The floor it looks like it's oak. The trim and chair rails, maple, furniture, cherry, and walnut. There's area rugs, and each piece of furniture is an antique and a masterpiece. It, it smells pretty inside of spruce and apple. And On the dining room table is a pitcher of milk and an apple pie with a note, homemade pie for weary travelers. You go into the joint study, you're amazed, book upon books, classics of literature and science, a big, nice computer, 30-inch flat screen, You can tell a guy made this story, right? 30-inch flat screen with a 3D real-time model of a molecule rotating on, it, rotating on it. The study is comfortable and elegant. You help yourself to the books. There's, there's a sign telling you to do so. You go from there and you begin to look through all the other rooms and it's wonder upon wonder. 
And after an hour of exploring, you come back, sit on the porch, and you wonder, am I dead? Am I dreaming? Or is the owner of this farm the most amazing person I've ever met? Well, this farm is an allegory for creation. And the owner is God. And we live in this world that is given to us as a gift full of wonderful resources that He sustains and He prepares for us. God is good in His creation. In His provision. In His, he is good in His creation. In His rule over it as well. Psalm 145 goes on. If you could put, put that back up. It speaks of Him providing for each one from His hand. And then it says, The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His works. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. God is not only good to us in creation in His provision, but in His ruling over creation. He presides over creation, and in particular mankind, with His law, with His truth, with His principles of right and wrong. He presides. He rewards the good and punishes the evil. In the book of Job, Job is struggling with the goodness of God. He's questioning God. And the way God answers him is first off, he spends a lot of time just talking about creation. And what he's done in creation, and that humbles Job. But he also talks about the fact that he rules in righteousness over things. He says to Job, he challenges Job, because Job thinks he perhaps is better than God. He says, look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. This same truth is seen elsewhere. 1 Peter 5.5, we looked at a few weeks ago. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God rules over His creation in a moral sense as well. God actively opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. He enforces that law in creation. Have you ever thought about that? Why is it that Hitler didn't win World War II? There's certain things that went on, but behind all the stuff that went on is a God of justice and righteousness who opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Can you imagine if Hitler had won World War II? I mean, if you know history, it was this close. Our atom, the atom bomb we did came from German scientists. The jets, in large part, came from German scientists. They were this close to getting the atom bomb and jets. And it would have been all over. Yet it didn't happen that way. Can you imagine if it had? how horrible life would be, but he lost. Yes, it worked through different means. It cost a lot of lives, certainly, but behind it all was a God of justice. And throughout history, if you examine history, the dictators don't last. Dictators are brought down. Evil rulers are brought down. God presides over history, rewarding the humble, opposing the proud. There is a what is called a natural law that is there and God enforces and every human being knows it intuitively. And dictator after dictator, God presides. God does that even in the local personal level. 
we could tell stories. I could tell stories of the local bully and how God worked it out that the local bully would no longer bully the kids in the neighborhood. Ultimately, that's because there is a God in heaven who is over all things and works it all out. God presides. God rules. He brings peace and prosperity as we walk in His ways. You don't need to be a believer in Christ to experience His rule. He rules over all human beings. He rules over those who embrace Him in Christ and those who reject Him. The same law applies in every way. He presides over His creation and rules it and does good. Thank God for the good of natural law. Thank God that humans understand that murder is wrong. That lying is wrong. Thank God that that He works in us in such a way as those made in His image under His creation to be humble and honest, to provide for those around us, to be respectful and considerate, to uphold the rule of law versus the passion of the individual or mob, to be chaste, temperate, and kind. These are laws you will find in any stable society. And they all come as gifts from God who is good. And if God were not good, these things would not be true. There would not be stability. We would not see these things. He is amazingly and abundantly good to us. The blessings of family, friendship, community. He is good in these countless ways. All around us. He is good. And He does good. And He reveals His goodness and and glory to us. He is good in creation. We need to remember that. One more point before we move on. All this goodness in creation, all His goodness, all the depths and wonder of His goodness to us, all the faithfulness, the, the, the beauty and glory of that farm that we live in, which is creation, is given by our good God to people who have largely, and apart from Him entirely, rejected Him. He has been good to us, and we passively or actively have rejected His rule. We've said, we want the blessings, God, but we really don't want You. Can I live on the farm and enjoy the Corvette and, and, and the lemonade and the apple pie, but can you just stay away from the farm? Because I really don't want You. I want your stuff, but not you, please. Scripture teaches us clearly that this is the crazy, insane disposition of mankind that we have rebelled against the Creator. And we just want His stuff. We don't want Him. And yet He continues to be good to us. Humanity has rejected the Creator who is ultimately good. We ultimately don't even really care if He's alive or not. As long as we can have His stuff. Just give me your stuff, not you. And though we may be appalled by the insinuation, we would prefer the farmer dead, more or less. That's a testimony of history. That's why they killed Christ. We read that story and we think, how horrible, didn't they see it? And if we had been alive in that day, most likely we would have been part of the crowd, part of the soldiers. Who crucified him. Because we want his stuff and not him. We want his goodness, but not the goodness of his person. And that's what makes his goodness all the more amazing. He is good to those who are 
essentially, to one degree or another, his enemies. He's good. He's good to us in his creation. He is good to us. We experience his goodness in the cross. The ultimate expression of his goodness goes far beyond his goodness in creation. It is seen in the cross and resurrection of Christ. God has been good to those who are not good to Him. The the truth is that He has loved us when we didn't deserve us, deserve His love. This is love. This is the expression of goodness to another. This is love, not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us and sent His Son as propitiation, as an atoning sacrifice, as one who deals with the offense of sin. He has sent His Son as a propitiation for our sins. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us. Rebels that we are. In His extravagant goodness. It goes beyond just providing, just presiding over creation. It goes to the point where He gave His Son for us. You see, we have taken over the farm We've occupied the house. We've destroyed the furniture. We've fought and killed each other over who gets to drive the Corvettes. We've slaughtered the animals. We've killed those who speak in the farmer's name. Each of us, to one degree or another, have done this. And it's hard to face it. We don't like to. And we very quickly say, well, I'm not as bad as that other person. I'm not Hitler, at least. But if we examine ourselves by the perfect goodness of God and His perfect standard of goodness and as creatures made in His image who know we're called to love Him and love others, we recognize we've all fallen short. Every single one. Each of us in some way, openly, blatantly, or subtly have rebelled against Him and said we only want His stuff. And God is no fool. He's good. And in His goodness, He is just. And He cannot allow open rebellion to be rewarded. We wouldn't do that, would we? If there was a a criminal walking the streets, it wouldn't be good to say, well, just let him go. That's all right. And have him just keep on wreaking havoc. Justice comes from God's goodness. And so God in His justice has said that the wages of sin is death. That those who choose to live without the farmer get life without the farmer. And not only life without the farmer, but without his stuff. Because you can't have his stuff without him. It goes together. He is good. He is the center of the universe. Goodness flows from who He is. He gives us things and He wants us to know Him. And we say, no, just your stuff. We don't want you. So, okay, if that's your choice... And that choice is called sin. It's rebellion. The wages of that sin is death. Life apart from God, which is no life. Eternity apart from Him. The very worst thing that any of us could ever imagine or experience is the just thing for those that reject Him. The just consequence. And if God simply left it there and enforced justice, His goodness would be perfect still. Because it would be justice. It would be goodness. And He would have every right to do what He 
would do in that case. But that's where it gets even more amazing. Because His goodness is His justice and includes that, but it's fuller than just justice. It's more extravagant than just provision and presiding over creation. His goodness is so amazing that He has reached out to rebels who naturally, to some degree, hate Him and sought to redeem them. The, the amazing, the ultimate goodness is so amazing of what He has done in His goodness that the angels who live in the presence of God, glorious beings in and of themselves, long to look into this ultimate goodness in its glory. It's so glorious that the hosts of heaven, all the angels and all the redeemed saints, sing and shout about it and praise Him in, in something that looks like a bunch of teens at a rock concert. Read Revelation, you'll see it. There's shouting. There's celebration. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. They see His goodness. The ultimate goodness in Christ. You could put up Colossians 1. The ultimate goodness far exceeds His goodness in creation. His goodness in provision. His goodness in presiding. It far exceeds this. It, it, is, it is a glorious goodness that is so deep and unfathomable that the, that the very best minds that have ever been have spent years probing it and have never got to the bottom of it. And yet, it's so amazing, it's still so simple that the youngest mind, the simplest mind, can grasp it. It's this simple truth. Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins that He might bring us to God. Colossians 1 speaks of this. It speaks of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. He's given His Son for sinners. And the Son as the only one who ever, ever fully loved the farmer more than the farm. The Son is the only one who faithfully and fully submitted to His goodwill. God the Son, Jesus Christ, gave Himself on the cross to pay my penalty. To pay your penalty of your rebellion against perfect goodness. To die your death. To receive your consequence. To receive in Himself your, my just reward so that we might receive His just reward. He has earned the right to own that farm and live with the Father, presiding over it under Him forever. And He has exchanged that right for you. He gets it in the end through us and in us. He's raised from the dead. The Father in Him giving Himself for us, paying for our sins, paying the just penalty. He fully pleased the Father and He was raised from the dead. Victorious. The Father rewarded Him and all those who are in Him with His just reward. That is amazing goodness. 
incredible goodness, everlasting goodness, life-changing, universe-shaking goodness. And it is for any and all who would believe it and receive it. Any and all who would say, yes, this is true. And this is what I want. I don't want the farm without the farmer anymore. I don't want life without God anymore. I have seen His goodness ultimately in His Son given for me. And I want Him. And I want everything to be in relationship with Him. I don't want the Corvette anymore without Him with me. I don't want life without Him. Any and all who believe and receive this goodness, receive the goodness of forgiveness. Our sins washed away and join our King and Savior Christ under the goodness and in the goodness of the Father. And it will never end. That goodness for His people who have believed and received that will never end. And if you are a believer, His goodness to you will never end. You have received the full expression of His goodness. It is there. It is rock solid from a God who is good and always will be good. God can be nothing but good. And if you have received Christ, you have received His ultimate goodness and it will never be taken from you. And not only that, but God will use all things for your good. He will transform everything in your life to be used for good in you and through you. That is the promise of Romans 8. For those who are in Him, those who have been called according to His purpose, those who love Him, those who are His. He works all things for good, together for good for us. Even evil in our lives. Even failures. Even midlife crisis disappointments are all used by God for good. Even bad things. And we'll talk about how God works that out a bit next week. He offers us this amazing opportunity to to enjoy His goodness and to follow Him and promote His goodness through how we live. And then He does an amazing thing. He rewards us at the end of life for how we've enjoyed and promoted His goodness. So we get goodness on top of goodness. And we're with Him forever. And one day, very soon, He will return and remake the earth. And all His people will be with Him forever where heaven and earth are together. And the goodness will be full and glorious. And we will taste and see that He is good in a way that we never did in this life. But He wants you to taste and see it now as well. He wants you to live in His goodness. If the band could come up as we close, the last point, He's good in His character. The goodness in creation, the goodness in His provision, the goodness in His presiding, the goodness in His Son all flows from who He is. He is good. And it's fitting that the word good and God are almost the same word because God is good by nature and can be nothing but good. And so the foundation of our confidence is the character of God. And we must anchor ourselves in this good news that He is good. And we see it ultimately in the cross. We must anchor ourselves in the goodness of God guaranteed, assured, demonstrated by the cross. 
And if we are going to answer that question, can I trust God? The ultimate answer is, yes, He is good in character and ultimately expressed in the cross and in His creation. We need to anchor ourselves there and we need to fight the fight to believe it and live it. Because what will happen is there will be things that will come against that. There will be your own flesh. The sinful nature apart from God is in us. It will be there until you go to be with the Lord. There will always be that tug that comes from our own soul that says, no, don't believe it. The same tug that went on with Adam and Eve at the beginning. Wasn't the core of what was said there, God isn't good, He doesn't want you... He wants to control you, not not help you, so they ate the apple. They believed He wasn't good. That that same foolishness is in each of us. The devil himself loves, I believe his chief temptation for God's people is to say, God is not good. He doesn't love you. This situation in your life is from a God who, who doesn't care, who can't help you. He doesn't have power. He isn't good. And you have to fight to stand on the truth that He is good at those moments. To remind yourself of the truth of Scripture. To go back to the Gospel. There's an excellent book as well I want to recommend in our library. I will get more copies as well called Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. I think it's this month's recommended book. Please take it and read it. It talks about these things. We need to build up our understanding and anchor ourselves in this and fight to be shaped and defined and full of the awareness of the goodness of God. We must decide to anchor ourselves in His perfect, pure, infinite, and unshakable goodness. As revealed in the Scripture, we are to taste and see that He is good. Can you trust God? Yes, because He is good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that You are good. And that goodness is perfect and pure and unshakable and infinite. And I pray for us as Your people, Lord, would You transform our lives by that truth. Would You anchor us and would You would you shape us to be like you and to do your good deeds in your name as we ground ourselves in your goodness? I pray you administer to each and everyone here to this end and be glorified through it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we close in song.